Welcome to Homestead Gardening in the Texas Gulf Coast with Kristen Howard. I'm curious to know whether you know which type of gardener you are. What's your gardening style, habit, or routine? Are you the type of gardener that will do a million garden chores in a single weekend at the beginning of the season, but then just check back in on your garden here and there over the growing season? Are you the type of gardener that does a little of this and a little of that every day or a few times a week? You tinker, you take a daily look around, and you spread out your chores? For this discussion today, I've determined these are the two main types of gardeners, variable and steady-paced. Maybe you know which gardener you are already, or maybe you want to be one of these types of gardeners when you're actually the other type. Now, over the past year, I've focused on and shown my friends and family how easy backyard gardening can be by growing plants that provide a lot of food and are easier to grow than the food found in the grocery store. I did this for a reason. I determined the struggle most gardeners have is that they want to grow more difficult-to-grow vegetables for their area, but their gardening style is variable instead of steady-paced. This was the style and the struggle that I began with, too. I started out gardening as a variable gardener that did a massive number of chores in one weekend and occasionally checked in, but this style had more disadvantages than I realized in the long run. A few years ago, my style started to change and I became an everyday steady-paced gardener, spreading out my chores to small garden activities on a regular basis and checking in almost daily, which did take more time but had a lot of advantages the other style didn't have. So why does it matter that you know which type of gardener you are? Well, today I'll talk about the pros and cons of two harvesting styles, and it just so happens that the two gardening styles mentioned correlate with the two harvesting styles I'll examine today. When you harvest and how much may also determine how you store your food. Through this episode, you'll eventually find out that a combination of both styles is particularly advantageous for different foods, and I'd bet you'll start changing the way you garden in the upcoming season after listening. Variable gardeners tend to plant everything at once and also tend to harvest all at once. I call these harvests bumper crops. Now, bumper crops are actually an unusually high yield from a single crop, but for a home vegetable gardener that produces many types of crops in the same location, having a high yield at once from just one type of the many crops is similar to having a true bumper crop. Bumper crops are a blessing for a production farm, but as a home vegetable gardener, usually bumper crops are the opposite. They can be a real burden when you don't expect them or don't know what to do with the produce. If you see a gardener with buckets and aprons and counters filled with just one type of fruit or vegetable, this is their bumper crop on display. So what do most gardeners do with these burdensome blessings? The unprepared gardener usually shares with neighbors, brings vegetables to work, leaves a sign at the end of their driveway and a bucket of vegetables, starts giving vegetables to the meal person, and is the odd duck that brings fresh vegetables to the doctor's office. And yes, these are things I've done, and I don't regret it. What I regret is growing so many of a certain vegetable all at once and not having a plan for those vegetables. What I regret is feeling irritated that I spent time and money on a harvest I couldn't take full advantage of. Now, there's nothing wrong with sharing your food with friends and family and strangers if that makes you feel good. But I'd like to remind my listeners that this is a homestead gardening podcast, not a garden philanthropy podcast. For those who are inclined to act like homesteaders, giving away your excess food for free because you are overwhelmed with your bumper crop should be a homesteading no-no. 
So one obvious con of variable gardening that produces bumper crops is that you may waste produce if you're unprepared to process the food or if the food can't store easily without processing. Another obvious con is that bumper crops are usually overwhelming, even if you prepare and plan for them. This is because a bumper crop that requires processing, whether that be onions that need to dry before storing or cucumbers that need to be pickled, all require your time, energy, and space. A lot of space. All bumper crops arrive on their schedule, not yours, and usually you need to complete your harvesting and processing chore within the limited time frame that the crop is ready or you'll miss the window. Pros of the variable gardening style that produces bumper crops is that you can batch or create an assembly line for your processing chores. You can focus on fewer crops, which may be ear- You can focus on fewer crops, which may be an easier You can focus on fewer crops, which may be easier for a new gardener than growing a wide range of crops. You can also sometimes grow one type of food only every other year if you produce enough of this crop in one season, which can free up your garden for another type of plant the next season. There are many advantages to skipping a year or two when growing a crop. The soil can recover if you don't have room to rotate your crops. The pests for that type of plant will try to come back to your garden the next year, find different foods than what they preyed upon, find different foods than what they preyed upon the year before, and move on to someone else's garden, which will result in fewer of these pests when you do grow that crop again the following year. Additionally, your burden is reduced by focusing your energy on a few types of crops instead of 20 or 30 different types that all have different needs or habits. A favorite crop I grow intentionally as a bumper crop is hot peppers. Hot peppers can be dried and stored for a long time. They can be processed into hot sauce, they can be added as needed into other processed canned foods or dishes, and truthfully, you can grow a hot pepper crop once every five years, and the flavor really won't decrease too noticeably over that period of time without a side-by-side comparison to a newer pepper. In over a decade of gardening, I've only seriously grown peppers two times. The rest of the time I've grown peppers has been a lazy dabble, and to be honest, without focused energy on my peppers, I'm not a great pepper grower. They aren't difficult to grow, but I find that I always have a few in the bunch that mysteriously keel over, half grow as predicted, and then there are the few that grow twice as large as planned and take over the garden. Loving peppers too much usually kills them, and the ones that die are just simply overwatered. The large ones just happen to get more fertilizer somehow, and were in a better draining location than the others which also survived. Because they're in locations where the occasional deep watering was more successful and the crawfish in my backyard didn't build a burrow right next to their root system. It's as simple as that. Other favorite bumper crops are pickling cucumber, long storage winter squash and pumpkins, long storage gourds, fruit that can be frozen and cooked at a later date like blackberries and stone fruit, onions, potato, herbs, grains, fresh and dry beans and peas, roselle hibiscus, cotton or other fiber plants, flowers for drying or selling in batches or filler plants for arrangements, nut trees, peanuts, and vitamin-rich leaves that can be dried and turned into super green powder. Now, I only enjoy these as bumper crops if I have a plan for them, and I roughly know what to expect from them. Timing is everything if you grow a lot of food with the same harvesting time frame. 
Most people do not garden because they think it's a lot of work to garden. The truth is, gardening isn't hard to do. It's not necessarily a ton of hard work depending on how strict you are about having a perfect looking garden. The truth is that it can be inconvenient if you don't integrate it into your life plans. Gardening isn't like a normal hobby. For example, painting is a hobby you can usually pick up and put down over the course of several days or months. It's not terribly time dependent. However, gardening is extremely time dependent, not just for planting, but for harvesting too. I believe that the hardest part about gardening isn't knowing what to do and how to do it, but scheduling your harvest. Here's an example. For some reason in Houston, my clients always want a peach tree. Don't get me wrong, a fresh, sun-ripened peach eaten straight from the tree is an incredible treat that no grocery store can begin to compete with. However, peaches don't grow that well in Houston, unless that variety has time to ripen in the drier part of the season while still having access to water. Late June ripening varieties do a bit better than other ripening times because Houston's May rains, and about two to three weeks before fruit is ready, and fruit does not have to suffer through a potentially over-dry late June and July when Houston encounters an unfortunate drought summer once in a while. Finishing the ripening process in that drier time frame also helps the fruit concentrate sugars, so you don't end up with waterlogged fruit harvested in the rainy season. The real concern I have for my clients is if they plan to travel in summer, as most people do at this time, especially if they have school-aged children. June is a popular travel time, either right as school lets out at the end of May or early June, or at the end of June right before our national holiday. All of these times are likely to be when most peach trees varieties will ripen in Houston and my clients will come home to rotten fruit on the ground and a lot of it if they aren't prepared for this bumper crop from their tree. It may take five years of growing before the tree does give a bumper crop, but eventually it will happen. What's the point of owning a finicky fruit tree like a peach in a humid climate if you can't enjoy the fruit? A solution is to buy a variety like May Pride or another earlier ripening variety that will ripen before school ends and summer vacation might begin, which and summer vacation might begin, which risks harvesting in the rainier time of year, but may ensure that you are in town for the harvest. Now the question is, what do you do when the bumper crop arrives right when your child is stressing over end of year tests or your ending graduation parties? or you're attending graduation parties and every weekend is booked with something fun because the weather is so nice or pool season just started, that bumper crop is going to be overwhelming. I recommend trying your best to get the harvest time to sync with your busy schedule and then have a plan to manage your extreme fortune. You will usually know a bumper harvest is arriving within about a week before it does arrive, so you have a little notice, but it's better to plan two to three months in advance, which can absolutely be done with a little practice. Part of your plan should be a decision on how you want to use or store the crop after harvesting. In the past, I've had a harvest party to help me collect fruit. It was actually a birthday party where I asked everyone to come collect with me as their gift to me and then treated them to beers and lunch afterwards as a thank you. I've had a processing hangout where, once again, beer was involved, and because the kitchen was occupied with canning, pizzas were served and everyone formed an assembly line to make quicker work of the processing. I've actually had many, se- 
I've actually had many processing events where I process my quail or turkey and pretty much everyone is happy just to have that experience and then be served with the cook and then be served with the cooked bird as a reward. The same can be done with fruit and vegetables if you have too many. A few jars of homemade pickles or peach preserves and lunch may be all the payment you need in exchange for the help. Those of you with children. Those of you with children, in my opinion, have it the easiest. Little hands can get a lot done with the proper motivation. My rule is you have to participate in the work in order to be rewarded with such precious goods from the garden, and usually that's a good motivator. My favorite way to store food now is to freeze or dry it. For years, I canned my bumper crops and actually tried to grow a heavy yield of the same type of crop so I could justify the canning process. I'm not sure what I was thinking, except that maybe I thought I was supposed to can things because that's what everyone seemed to be doing. I honestly hated the whole process. The cans were expensive, and this was a long time ago before the cans are actually expensive now. The canning was a lot of trouble without any help. My back hurt like crazy after doing this chore because I had to sort of lean over the stove a long time and it didn't make any sense. It took up a whole day or a whole weekend to do this chore, and I really never enjoyed and I really never enjoyed the canned food later. I usually stir fry my vegetables, so canned food was a bit of a bad fit for me. Also, you may not know this, but unless you use the entire contents of the jar, which includes water covering your vegetables, you will lose nutrients in that canned water when you drain your canned vegetables. So canning just seems like a terrible choice for homegrown food for me. With that said, you can still process food for canning, but instead of packing in jars or with water, you can freeze that same food. I really like the Ball Canning Book for their perfected recipes. So most of the recipes I've used from the internet have been super flawed. So the canning... Most of the recipes I've used from the internet have been flawed, but the ball canning book has never failed me. Now, dried food is lightweight and can be stored in the pantry at room temperature, which can be pretty convenient and takes less work to process. As long as you have an idea of how to rehydrate and use the food later, this is not a bad way to go. Long storing will need a food-grade silicon desiccant packet added to the storage container in case moisture gets in, which can spoil your food. <coughs> if your food is actually dry, this rarely happens, but it's easy to under-dry your food, especially in Houston, where the humidity can be high inside your home. The dried food at my house will sometimes slightly rehydrate on humid days if it's not stored immediately. Peppers don't have a lot of moisture to begin with, but if you dry something juicier like fruit and tomato, they may still have a little moisture left. I usually just dry these as much as possible and then move them into the freezer. When you freeze food without drying it first, you can freeze it raw, like herbs and berries, but you may want to find out if a quick blanch or a quick steam is necessary for the food you're storing. A quick steam with zucchini makes it unfreeze with a rubbery texture that isn't very enjoyable to eat but quickly steamed beans unfreeze without a textural difference. Frozen dried food will last longer and any bit of moisture that accidentally finds its way into the freezer bag won't spoil the food. My least favorite crops to have a high yield with are melons and other fresh eaten fruit that isn't typically cooked or able to be frozen easily. 
fresh slicing cucumber, the bitter melon or bitter gourd because it has a short window for harvesting, spinach and lettuce, brassicas because I like fresh stir-fried preparation, not frozen or canned, flowers for a unique enhancement to an arrangement, citrus and cool season other stir-fried and other cool season stir-fried greens. Now let's talk about the steady paced gardening style. A steady paced style of gardening usually includes regular planting and regular harvesting. With this style, succession planting is easy and therefore succession harvests are your result. Succession harvests are, in my opinion, the ideal, especially if your goal is to eat fresh food regularly. This style of harvesting and gardening requires daily review of your garden to harvest a little here and a little there. To be successful at this style of gardening, you do need to integrate the garden into your daily routine, or at least plan to visit your garden every other day to keep from getting behind on not just chores, but your harvests. Succession planting is when you start a fraction of your crop each week or every other week, which then creates a long period of harvesting, just a fraction of your crop at a time, over a longer period of time, instead of all at once. Succession planting is great for fruit or vegetables that really need to be eaten fresh, like zucchini, melons, and slicing cucumber. You can succession plant in row crop styles with seeds, but you can even succession plant with full-grown plants by either starting seeds indoors in a succession style, or by starting seeds indoors all at once, but delaying repotting of the indoor-grown plants or delaying planting them outdoors. The plants will slow or stop their growth as they run out of space in a pot, so simply by delaying their outdoor planting a week or two will give you a convenient succession planting opportunity. I do this with all of my brassicas, and this family of plants includes Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, cabbage, broccoli, and others like that. You may also hear this family nicknamed coal crops instead of brassicas, which is short for brassicaceae. All of these plants have to be started indoors in Houston because our cool season is often not cool enough to produce really good crops from this family of plant. In a cold winter year, you can start these seeds outdoors in late fall and get a small spring crop. But winter rains bring slugs and snails into the equation, which causes other issues. In a warm winter year, these plants cannot grow from seed when started in fall and produce any sort of sizable crop. The weather is just too warm and usually the plant gets confused in spring and bolts, which means it flowers and goes to seed. Shooting for a fall harvest is a better plan, and this takes some planning and strategy as well as an indoor growing space. I start brassica seeds indoors anytime between July 1st and July 15th. I upsize the plants once into their four inch pot after about four weeks of growing, which is in mid-August, and I begin to acclimate the plants outdoors in mid-September when the weather noticeably moves away from scorching summer heat. I actually use a particular bulb in my garden to predict this timing, and it's called a red spider lily, which for the past 10 years has bloomed in mid to late September, right when fall planting begins. For these plants, because their season is tricky to get right in Houston and the success is so dependent on which type of winter we might have, the succession planting is in three stages, with only five to seven days between, and it ends before October. This may not seem worth it to most people to have such short gaps in the planting, but it will separate your harvest into three manageable chunks, as well as your planting. I love this breakup of planting too, because usually I still have summer crops growing when I plant my fall crops, which means I have to find room here and there when I do this. An extra 10 to 15 days of growing for a summer plant yields 10 to 15 more days of harvesting from that plant, so it just benefits me to succession plant. 
Succession planting isn't just valuable for succession harvesting, it's also a strategic way to prevent your crop from being wiped out by pests or weather. One check on the pro column for succession planting. I succession plant squash in spring with my more difficult varieties to grow started first. My succession planting of that squash that follows is completely dependent upon how well the current growing variety is doing. If the more difficult variety is getting damaged by pests, I can start a new crop of a more resistant variety of squash to that particular pest a couple weeks later and avoid wasting seeds and space or putting all my eggs in one basket by growing only one type of squash variety. Obviously, growing more resistant varieties of squash is the best idea anyways, but there are some marginal varieties that will grow just fine as long as the potential pest population hasn't reached a tipping point. The difference between this style of succession planting and the one mentioned earlier with the brassicas is that each new planting period contains a different variety in response to what is happening with the garden environment at that planting time or in response to what happened to the last variety planted. Succession planting is really fantastic for fruit that needs to be eaten young, fresh, or that grows really quickly. Other examples not yet mentioned include romaine lettuce, snap pea, and slicing tomato. Now, root vegetables in Houston or other warmer climates are a better fit for succession planting. Our root vegetables don't store quite as nicely or for quite as long as they do in cool climates with root cellars. My root vegetables need to be processed in about two days from harvesting, and unless you love eating canned food, succession planting will keep you from having a large processing chore. The best way to succession plant a root vegetable is to plant in a different location each time you succession plant these. You can line the edge of your beds with these crops easily, making it easy to squeeze these in wherever and whenever you can. Also, by changing up the location each time you succession plant a root crop, you're unlikely to accidentally harvest one too early. There's one more thing to add to the pro column for succession planting. This style is a great way for you to notice patterns and trends for not just the plants, but your climate and garden. It may take just a full year of growing to find that pattern, or it may take a few years or at least a few seasons. What you can learn from succession planting is which plants grow better, bigger, faster, as far as varieties are concerned, and as far as the timing for this by comparing your harvests. You should be able to find a window of about two weeks that work year after year, better for one plant type or variety, than another two-week window using succession planting to compare. There are lots of garden calendars published for various counties or cities based on temperature, but your garden will have a microclimate that I recommend you hone in on to give you a more clear picture of what's happening. Garden calendars may say things like, these are the types of plants you can plant this month, and these are the plants you may be able to plant this month. Others will just have a 12-month list and a bar graph showing the ideal time frame and marginal time frame for planting. Within those recommendations, there is a two-week window for every plant that is the best. And by finding out when that is for your property will reduce your frustration and keep you from taking risks with the more finicky plants. An obvious con for a steady-paced gardening style is that it may not fit into everyone's busy daily schedule. The best way to make the style fit is to rethink how you garden. Of course, if you travel for work, this style still probably won't work well for you. But if you're home once a day, as most people are, there are ways to garden unconventionally that you can consider. Investing in a headlamp for easy nighttime watering, check-ins, or planting is totally worth it. No more waiting for the weekend to plant. Just go out after dinner and spend 20 minutes sowing seeds with a headlamp. Big chores can wait for the weekend, but small simple tasks can be done at night, including pest management. Additionally, all of your indoor gardening chores can be done while you're watching TV or doing another idle visual or audio task, like listening to this podcast. 
It may be more realistic to switch to more indoor seed starting or container gardening if you find it difficult to schedule your garden time during the day. Almost all warm season or transitional season crops can be started indoors, and about half of the cool season crops can be started indoors. Herbs like dill and root crops like beets are probably happier started from seed outdoors, but this is very easy to do as they are not particularly fussy to start. Another con is that the practice of succession planting appears to be more work. Sowing seeds three times instead of just one time for the same plant does take a little bit more time, but you have to determine whether or not you save time or find more value in the end when it's time to harvest, process, and store or use that food. You may also value time saved by not building in recovery time after doing huge chores or chores over an entire weekend. And you may find additional value in not having your beds lay empty while they wait for the next crop. To save your body and save time by not recovering, prep those beds for the next season as you go, instead of as a big weekend chore all at once. Coordinate both warm season and cool season crops, potentially growing at once to overlap seasons, and get more food from your garden instead of ripping out last season's garden after the food is harvested at once and start the next season. This continual use of beds will keep those beds from waiting around empty and allow continual harvesting. Row crop style gardening is suited for a single planting style for many reasons. Usually this gardening style is systematic, where each stage of the process is completed at once for a minimum time and a maximum yield. Each chore is completed once for the crop. However, if you have a mixed garden style and you are using succession planting in areas where other plants are being removed from the previous season, you have the option to plant all at once or break up your planting and gardening chores into smaller chunks with that succession planting method. It does take more time up front to learn how to mix plants that work together and do not compete for space and nutrients, as well as build a routine in your schedule that includes regular gardening activities. But in my experience, breaking up the chores has reduced the number of times I've overdone it while gardening and needed to actually take more time to recover from doing too many chores at once. And planting a mixed garden of companion plants that can grow together has had long-term benefits that have saved me time. So I've saved time by not recovering or being too exhausted to finish the big chore, which just wastes more time when I have to redo that chore later on. Additionally, the harvesting and processing chore later is usually exhausting and time-consuming to the point of gardening becoming a regret instead of a joy. And finally, companion planting in particular ways can provide benefits with some crops trapping pests or warding them off of other companion plants that are pest prone, meaning I don't have to put my pest control hat on every single day or buy sprays to control pests. And keep in mind that a succession harvest can still be stored and drying or freezing is the simpler way to keep these foods than canning, in my opinion. For those of you that don't have a clue which gardener you are by now or which gardener you want to be, start out by asking yourself a few questions. In a perfect world, would you rather go to the grocery store once every other week or once every other day for fresh food? Do you cook now with canned and frozen food more or fresh food? Would you eat healthier if you had frequent, convenient, healthy choices outside your door? These questions may help you figure out which gardener you are or want to be, or these questions may help you reframe your real goals. Your goal may not be to become a gardener. Mine certainly isn't. My goal is to make healthier choices that are also realistic for the location I live in and my lifestyle. My favorite saying is the foods that grow together go together. And this saying has helped me become a better gardener and a better cook. I can plan my meals based on what's growing at that time in the garden and plan my garden 
based on what I want to cook and when. When I asked myself the questions previously mentioned, I learned that I don't like eating or cooking with canned food, which has changed not only which foods I grow, but when I grow them and how many of those foods. In a perfect world, I'd rather have fresh produce every other day than every other week. I'm more motivated to eat healthy when healthy choices are convenient. Food is more precious when I grow it, so I also tend to make healthier choices by not wasting my calories on junk food and choose to eat my homegrown food instead. When I'm tempted to eat food based on convenience, it's more convenient just to step outside and grab a few things to eat than drive all the way to the store and all the way back an hour later and then prepare and cook all my food. So as always, thanks so much for learning with me today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to my podcast and recommend it to other gardeners that may be looking for gardening advice or inspiration. This week's YouTube episode, Myth Bus Mosquito Repelling Plants, something every gardener needs to learn about if you've been duped like many of my clients have. If you want to learn daily from me or want to see what's growing on in the test garden, find me on Instagram at TurnYourHeadAndScoff. Next week, I have a special guest, and we'll be bringing the garden into the kitchen to learn about the different types of homestead products you can make for yourself as gifts or to sell using things right from your garden and which products are worth your time and money to make yourself instead of buy.